0: Hi, I'm Sarah Grace McCandless, and this is On Brand. You know, throughout the course of a lot of our conversations here, when we focus in on this desire for true connection between people and the companies that they engage with, there's been a real common denominator in all the conversations that we've had to date. And that has to do with listening. What does that mean though? What does listening look like? Um, You can say that you're listening to your consumer. There's qualitative and quantitative ways to do that. But listening is really only one step, right? Uh, It's what you do with what you hear. How do you take that data? Um, What is data? How are the different ways to kind of come about it and come at it and add that so what and that now what to it? We're going to take a closer look at that particular topic today, and my guest is a real expert when it comes to customer strategy, listening, analytics, data behavior, and the overall customer experience. Reggie Weidman is the Director of Strategy and Execution for Lytics, and he's going to talk to us a little bit today about his point of view on this really great subject of listening to your customer. Reggie, welcome to OnBrand. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to have you here because honestly, you know, as I've been having different conversations with people from specific brands or subject matter experts who somehow are connected to this idea and this topic of <clears throat> engagement, um, how do you connect with your consumer authentically, looking for that personalization and an experience as well. Listening is really the common thread here. So, Uh, let's first tell our listeners a little bit, um, have have you tell a little bit about yourself, your background and a little bit about lytics as well.
1: Sure. Sure. So Reggie Weidman, um, I've been working in marketing, advertising, marketing technology, uh, for probably 15, 20 years now. Uh, currently I'm with lytics before that I was with Salesforce. Uh, Um, before that agency side, a couple different places. Uh, the focus for me professionally has always been about helping, brands find organic ways to use technology to create those digital connections with consumers. Um, that's when marketing works best, when it's uh, seamless, when it feels like you're being talked to as an individual, not as uh, uh, a target demographic, if you will. Um, so that's always been something I've gravitated toward and in and, and building those experiences for customers at Salesforce was really rewarding, but when I had the opportunity to move to Linux, uh, it, it, it was like coming home. And the, there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, the, the first is that Linux is a CDP. Um, we are designed as a smart hub of sort, which is sort of an intelligent uh, hub of customer data, right? So many brands will have a data lake that will be filled with rich demographic data about their customers and their target customers. Um, once you build that thing though, it becomes super difficult to make it actionable, particularly in real time. Uh, so CDPs became the answer to that question in a broad way. Lytics became a very specific answer to that question in that we provide the capability to, to pull that actionable data uh, into marketing experiences that could be real-time, but also a focus on machine learning coupled with uh, <clears throat> with behavioral data in digital yeah. experiences that we believe are actually even more valuable to driving the experiences that we know consumers want. Uh, so in my role, Uh, at Lytx. I'm the director of strategy and execution. Um, It's sort of twofold. One, I'm sort of responsible for helping us uh, define and refine uh, the go-to-market for how we're going to serve our customers, uh, and then also help those customers uh, execute their marketing experiences and their marketing ecosystem with the Lytx tool set. So that's me. That's what I do.
0: So in your world, the word customer is really referring to not just sort of the, I guess, end user, but um, the clients that you work with as, as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, like everybody who has a thing has a customer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Lit- so Linux, uh, I'm responsible for making sure our customers are being delighted by the tools that we bring to the table, and they're responsible for making sure that they're bringing marketing experiences to their customers that delight them as well.
0: Yeah, I, um, I love hearing about this too. This is an area I'm super passionate about, and it's an area we do a lot of work with, and my organization too, where we're looking at the different types of data um, and the different ways to kind of break down those experiences. You said the word actionable, you are singing my song um, because mm-hmm. I think you know, data is just like, those are some pretty charts and numbers but if you don't add the so what and the now what to it, that's all it really is, right? So uh, you mentioned behavioral data, let's start there. Why don't you do- define okay. that for us? What is behavioral data?
1: Sure, Uh, probably many would define it differently. For me, behavioral data is data that is um, not demographic data, that is real time, that is derived directly from uh, the consumers or customers interaction with brand experience. So that's me scrolling through your website, looking at products, listening to podcasts. Um, That's me in your app, uh, selecting different experiences within the app, that's uh, the digital tools you might use uh, to track my interactions with a physical retail experience. All of that is behavioral data um, and it's unique and differentiated from uh, demographic data and it is not assumptive data derived from things that we think we know about you, like your race, gender, um, place of origin, income.
0: Do you think that when you, you know, demographic data, like historically, I think about that as something like maybe I am providing, right? I'm I'm mm-hmm. providing that information, which, you know, quite frankly, could or could not be accurate, right? And especially if you're thinking mm-hmm. if you're getting that demographic data from social. Behavioral data, you're pulling from a lot of different touch points there. Is there uh, more validity to that behavioral data? What makes behavioral data valuable?
1: Sure. So there's two two questions there. So there's validity, and then there's value. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what makes behavioral data valid is is the point you made. Simply is that it is what the consumer uh, customer is providing to you directly. Um, Demographic data you provide some of that data when you uh, register with a brand so that you're receiving, you know, communications from them, you're providing demographic data, other pieces of demographic data they are assuming or um, acquiring about you through other parties. Um, So the demographic data is some data that you provided and some data that they've learned about you and some assumptions that they've made about you. Not necessarily bad assumptions, but they are assumptions. Um, So the behavioral data, what's valuable about it, um, and there's a component that makes it more valuable that I'll get to, is that it is that data that is provided uh, from experience. right? You don't need to know uh, these things about me or make assumptions about what I'm looking for to know that if I'm on your website and I'm scrolling through a particular product, I'm interested in that product. Um, That is the ultimate way of understanding me as a consumer. But to make that valuable, it really requires the ability to execute in real time. So the thing about demographic data is it's very difficult to make real time. Behavioral data, needs to be real time so that it can be uh, actioned in the moment. So I'm on your website right now. I'm looking for a product right now. Uh, you can't take those actions or those things you've learned about me, throw them into a database, and then come back three months and see if I'm still interested. You need to surface uh, the value and delight in real experience, in real time while I'm there. Um, so I believe uh, behavioral data is more valuable because it is a true version of what this consumer is looking for, but it's also only achieves its real value if it can be executed upon in real time, if that makes sense.
0: It does. And, it, you know, what It also kind of speaks to me probably, and I, I make a lot of references to this, but I'm a, my core is a writer and an empath. So I hear a story here. I hear a story with behavioral data versus maybe demographic, which you said is a lot of it is very assumptive. Behavioral seems to tell at least the beginning of a story or the idea of a story. You also mentioned that it's really important to kind of have the ability to pull the levers in real time and to act on it. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? um, And what are the benefits of doing so um, on really kind of, you know, being more reactive or maybe even proactive? Uh, Can you be proactive with behavioral data as well? Can you kind of get ahead of the curve from coming from that approach?
1: Yeah, and I think, I would start with uh, the limitations of demographic data. Uh, so if you think about demographic data, what you're creating when you create a demographic po- profile of a consumer is you are, in fact, creating a snapshot in time. Right. You're creating a snapshot of who I am, what I look like and what my interests were in the moment that those data points were acquired. Um, and of course, with AI machine learning, you can extrapolate that to the future. You know, I've worked with auto brands, you get somebody with a mid, into a mid-sized car, it's easy to extrapolate that one day down the road, you'll be able to get them into a luxury, luxury skew. Sure, that makes sense. But I'm changing in real time, right? I'm changing at every moment. I'm also doing something um, that we have a very difficult time accounting for, which is I'm often um, shopping for different interests. So I might be shopping for someone else, right? So you're going to have all these different signals that tell you different things. And if you try to put place all that into a demographic profile, it's going to be really confusing. A thing that brands struggle with right now is what we call householding, which is understanding all the differentiated signals of consumers in one household, right? They might be using the same iPad. They might be clicking on the same ads on Hulu, right? These are different people. You don't know who they are. So now there's this exercise of figuring out is this the mom, is this the dad, is this the child? Like who should we be marketing to in this moment? Um, And they're working through those things, they're making progress. Um, But in reality, if we were focused only on behavioral, it wouldn't even matter. It wouldn't even matter if it's three people because I'd be surfacing interests based upon those behaviors in real time. And that is really the best way to market to consumers.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That makes a lot of sense, too. I mean, it makes me as you're talking, I'm thinking to, you know, I mentioned, you know, our company, we do a lot of work around this, too. Because if you think about like, I'll just take the service part of a relationship and somebody's made a phone call or sent out a tweet to get help for something. You can look at how many how long were you on the phone? How many interactions did you have to go back and forth? And that's one way to look at data. but. The other kind of layer that we look at is is the why behind it. Why did you call? Why did it take 10 minutes to solve? You know, we really look at the why behind that so we can improve that experience moving forward should it be something that it repeats itself. Um, when you think about behavioral data and consumers, um, how would you kind of describe what types of consumers are out there kind of as a first step as you start to approach behavioral data? Do they fall into buckets of sorts? And if so, how would you define that?
1: types of consumers um well i think it's i think it's interesting um from a demographic perspective it's a it's a lot more straightforward the the buckets are the volumes of data that you know about consumers right so here's the bucket of consumers for whom i have just an email address right they've opted into uh my newsletter um and then here are the bucket of consumers that i purchase history for right so they've purchased with our brand um they seem to have some affinity for our brand and they're ripe for repurchase. Um, And then here are the, you know, the buckets of consumers who are using our apps and we have richer data about them and they've opted into other experiences and we're now building a a full 360 profile of them. Um, From a behavioral perspective, uh, I would say that there aren't really buckets of consumers, there's more like buckets of opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're thinking about what we're gonna do with behavioral data, um, we're using the signals from their behavior to define the real-time opportunity that we should be exposing to them, right? Um, like one conver- one conversation we had at the beginning of, of last year was with uh, brands who were trying to figure out what to do uh, with COVID sensitivity, right? Should I be sending you emails about discounts when you're worried about your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, should I be sending you emails saying, hey, are you OK? We as a brand care about you when you're not really affected, you're not worried about this 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 virus, right? And so we talked about being able to uh, use their digital properties where most big brands had statements about COVID on their websites, right? Um, to see if consumers were, were looking at that data, if they were paying attention to that, that that those digital touch points on your site, well, then those would be the customers that you would probably put into that bucket of um, COVID sensitivity, that they would have more affinity for the brand if we addressed the current affairs of the world in our marketing toward them. Whereas other consumers who just aren't paying attention to those things, aren't touching those things, don't seem to have any affinity. Let's just treat them like normal. Let's let's tell them things are on sale. Let's tell them when it's two for one. And that's that's the world they want to live in. And I think those buckets will change in real time. Right. One day I may have, I may be very sensitive to what's going on in the world. The next day I may not be. Right. One day I'm a purchaser, I just want to buy my thing the other the next day I'm like, looking at things, but I'm worried about, should I be spending this money because I might lose my job, right? I'm a different person every five minutes. And behavioral data allows you to acknowledge that fact in your marketing.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, obviously the impact of the pandemic for the last year. I was thinking about that a lot because when we, I mean, think about the topic of behaviors, talk about something that is really impacting behaviors. and, and I love what you said, too. There were a lot of brands and companies that sort of reacted and rushed to the table or didn't react. You know, I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the pandemic doing some consulting on crisis management, telling people to pause, like, do not send out these uh, emails or or promotions. It sounds very tone deaf. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. And, you know, so you have to think about the change of behavior. So what would think about this last year and how our behaviors have changed some of it will be everlasting, right? Um, And some of it will go back to maybe not the old way or a different way, but a more familiar way. Um, What do you think will kind of stay? What's temporary that maybe we can learn from? I mean, what are are your thoughts on how this has impacted our behaviors in the last 12 months or so?
1: I think the difference with purpose-driven marketing is that it is a real commitment. Like this (laughs) isn't like, new coke versus old coke like oh it's not working we'll go back to the old thing if you make a commitment you know there are brands who last year made a commitment to equity to black lives matter um to diversity and all of these commitments that they've made they they aren't things that they can just leave out there as sort of a branding or marketing exercise and then move on to the next thing um uh consumers uh particularly millennials will be responsive to that. And if they feel that the brand has betrayed these ideals that they expressed during a time of crisis, uh, it will affect their relationships with those consumers. So I think it's gonna be really interesting that we're not going to be able as brands to make sort of slapdash decisions like, oh, this thing's happening and people are upset about it, so let's release a statement. It's gonna have to be, if we're gonna do this, what's next and how to just become part of our brand and how we market. Um, Which also means to bring it all back together, that it requires an acute understanding of who your customers are to know that whether this is a thing you should even be doing. I mean, I think there are brands who looked at everything that happened last year and said, what we do is irrelevant to what's going on in the world and it'll be disingenuous of us to take stand here, right? Uh, And there are other brands who stood up and said, you know, um, we're affected by this, our employees are affected by this and we we want the world to know that, that we wanna make a difference here. Uh, and that just can't end when people feel better about things, right? It has to be sort of a a lifelong commitment for a brand, if such a thing can exist.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I you know, um, I think that's something when we think about behaviors that will change too. There were brands that were directly impacted. There were brands that had to pivot in order to survive. There were brands that actually weren't really impacted one way or the other. Um, I was actually thinking about like, if I think about behaviors that have changed, one thing that really comes to mind for me is um, fitness or movement or exercise. You know, I mean, I was somebody who spent eight hours a week in my dance studio. Well, it wasn't my dance studio, I wish, but the dance studio <laughs> I go to, you know, I was in yoga, I was in a local um, spin studio as well. And speaking of that, I mean, you look at something like Peloton, Right that just skyrocketed. I was just listening to, and and you know what's happening with them too, what's so interesting is not only did they kind of thrive and rise during all of this even more, but they innovated. You know, now they are getting into sort of the music area, doing um, exclusive deals with Beyonce. And I just heard this morning about, um, you know, having original tracks or cuts that are going to be sort of a, you know, a music source. So it's just really interesting to kind of, hear about these innovations. Is is there a brand that comes to mind for you, not necessarily anybody that you work with, but just maybe from a consumer standpoint that you think is uh, using behavioral data really well?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are quite a few. I th- so I think I love the Peloton example um, mm-hmm. because it is actually a great example of how you're taking uh, demographic data and real-time behavioral data, right, from 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 this fitness experience, and combining it to create these unique experience for consumers. Uh, and what I love about what they're doing is they're doing something very similar to what we've seen for one of the brands I'd talk about, which is Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're paying mm-hmm. attention to the real-time behaviors of consumers using their tools, and they're they're responsive to that. Like they, it's well documented that pretty much all of their Platform development or all their, their their content development is just based on algorithm, right? What people are looking at, what people are talking about, what people are interested in. Those are they go and make those shows, or they go and acquire those shows uh, from other places. So it's a uh, they're a great example. One that I I, I think has really just kind of nailed it. Frankly, though, has been Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can malign Uber in some ways, but really, what Uber has done well is understand consumer behavior. They understand where I go, how frequently I go there. Um, one thing that they've, I've noticed recently is the like, Electric Platinum. They'll offer you a discount for your most traveled route. Um, so, just being able to do that programmatically on a customer by customer basis is really unique. Um, and then, when they moved years ago into Uber Eats, into the food delivery um, business, like that's a profile. Right, that's like that's where you're taking a few bits of demographic data, which are mostly just location-based, and coupling it with rich real-time data about what my food preferences are, what times of day I eat, when I travel, why I travel, how frequently I travel, and really just serving it, serving it up. You know, if I uh, if I go on vacation and I'm not traveling, Uber will send me a note saying, "Hey, you know what's going on? Usually, you're going to this place. You know, you want a 10% off. You want you want to you want to." You know, $5 off, what do you need? Um, and then same for, for food. They're offering up, here the place you usually order from. Right now, uh, there's no delivery fee. You know, that's that's how you keep customers engaged. And I'm only getting information about things that I'm interested in, places I go, things I eat. Um, so I think they've really done a fantastic job of targeting their customer base behaviorally in a way that uh, that is... Uh, uh, inoffensive, uh, and also brings them closer to the individual consumer.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've had some experiences with Uber since the onset of COVID, and I was like, what's this going to be like, you know? And they're over-communicative in in a great way about protocol, safety, right? And you're right, they had that Uber Eats vision before this all began. And, of course, that's another area where we saw things just skyrocket. Everything had to become kind of uh, contactless or online. I mentioned, you know, my dance studio and yoga and spend. everybody, some some of the organizations were already online. Some um, were not and had to pivot very quickly. Um, they weren't a virtual experience. But um, you're right, with Uber, there is, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's been impacted. You're not necessarily Ubering as freely as you would before, um, but they've really yeah. made They've responded to, I guess, the behaviors that we've had to adopt as, as a nation, as a as a, you know, world, right? And in terms of just these safety protocols, is a kind of a, a first place to think about that. Um, you know, and, and then, uh, you okay.
1: remind you. I need to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but you also remind me of, a, of a, It's another great example of a purpose driven commitment because one of the things that they did that I was very impressed by was uh, during the shutdowns that most of the country experienced. You know, they were running ads. Don't, don't ride Uber. Like, don't (laughs) use our. You know, like where our people are delivering food, but don't ride Uber. Um, And I remember pulling the app up and like getting a message saying, you know, please only take this trip if you have to. Uh, And and to 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 do to 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 put a message out there like that that is going to have negatively impact your revenue is is powerful. And and that's definitely purpose driven.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point too. I love the Netflix um, example too because okay, there that's another great example of something that. Gosh, remember when Netflix used to send you actual physical DVDs? That wasn't that long ago, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: too young for that. I'm too oh, young. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Twenty. Right. I have well, my I, mom. I'm a child. I'm a child. That, I, um, I hear this from the yester years. Yes, uh, but okay, like let's like that wasn't it wasn't that long ago, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah sitting here thinking about my three teenage nieces who don't know that you can actually hold a phone up to your ear. You just use it like this. Uh, So, you know, but Netflix, like, wow, that was a brand that could have died by what, you know, kind of gone by way of the blockbusters of the world, if you will. And, um, and it didn't. And then now you're right. Like that is something you mentioned in the beginning, being able to Leverage in real time as much as possible for something like a Netflix. They can do that. I mean, they probably don't know that things like there are certain shows like Queens Gambit. Did they know that was going to be such a hit? And they can pivot and start to put things and fast track things into production that are more in that realm. Peloton, obviously, like they—that's a little bit of a longer runway, but I think they've been pretty quick to that too. Um, You know, that got me thinking about sort of marketing in general and advertising and how things have changed a lot in, in that world. You know, a lot of the conversations I've had, if we hone in on social, you know, they're still needing to remind brands that this is a two-way conversation, right? It's not just talking out or talking at. But, you know, if you kind of go back to, you know, years and years ago in marketing and advertising, like I think about the days of Mad Men, right, and kind of that era. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the most significant changes from how the approaches were taken back back in you know in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years? How has that changed in the, just in the last two, three, four, five years with this emphasis on behavioral data from a marketing and advertising standpoint?
1: I mean, that's a great question. And I think the 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 most amazing thing about that is like really the approach that we saw portrayed in Mad Men really has only begun to change in the last two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you think about the, the Mad Men approach, the, the the whole premise was predicated on the force of personality, right? This 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 man uh, having just the the ability to just pinpoint emotional triggers that would cause people to wanna purchase products and to be able to deliver that. Um, now, the problem with that approach, and it's the approach that we took until very recently, is that it was all perspective-based, right? Um, This, you know, Don Draper may have been really good at figuring out what the emotional core uh, message was to tell a story, but it was for, like, a white man, (laughs) and pretty much just a white man, and that's it. And it was fine because they were the only ones who really had purchasing power back then. Um, And and while we, the way we may have exchanged is or changed, not exchanged, is that we have the white man, and then we added. The white woman and we added the black man and the black woman and then Hispanic man and Hispanic woman, we didn't just say, well, these are people who have interests and needs um, that we should be responsive to. Um, so that is how behavioral has really changed the game. And I think that, you know, th- there's two components to it. There is, you know, there's sort of the, the ethics of marketing. Um, and should we be marketing to people based upon um, historic attributes that we used uh, to bias against them? Um, and then there is efficiency. I mean, I think it's just far more efficient to be focused on uh, behavioral attributes in real time uh, to activate consumers. Like it's 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 a faster way to get the job done. It's a cleaner way to get the job done. It doesn't require the like the types of complex segmentation that we're used to having to execute in order to build scalable marketing programs. So uh, I, I think there's there's both of those sides to it, and I think we're only seeing it change. Um, in the past few years, because just the weight of trying to market to every new type of consumer that we can imagine has become too much for the marketing machine. And so we need a better way. And I think artificial intelligent machine learning <clears throat> allowed us to scale a little bit more, but making the commitment to behavioral is I think the thing that makes that scale really take off.
0: You know, I'm thinking about um, the whole Don Draper philosophy don't get me wrong. I love men and Don Draper, but you know, boy, he told a story, right? He told the yeah. story. I sold it, but he didn't tell your story. He told the story that, and he was right. good at it. He was really good at it. But he told the story that he. It was sort of a story like you need to be this or buy into this. And then you're talking about behavioral data. This is kind of a great way to kind of wrap things up here in our conversation. Is I'm hearing that that helps us tell. A more personalized story if we think again about the way we're communicating, connecting with a consumer, the offers that we're sending to them, the support that we're giving them. Is that is that accurate? And how, you know, kind of how do you see what would be your advice to a brand who's looking to lean into having more authentic personalized engagements and connections?
1: I mean, the advice is 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 simple. Um and it's 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 funny, it, it'll remind me of a story that I had with uh, with my boss a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about a brand and we were talking about the things that were keeping them from being able to execute uh, real-time personalized experiences. Um, and I had kind of come to the conclusion that, well, because of these structures in their business and their marketing organization, that's what was holding them back, right? That they were gonna need to reorganize how their marketing organization was actually structured, its relationship to their technology organization, um, where they managed and kept their data. Like all of those things were gonna have to be reorganized if they really wanted to commit and execute uh, real-time personalized experiences. Uh, And he he looked at me and he said, he said, well, yeah, but brands do that all the time. Do it all the time. They reorg, they move things around, change the names of departments. He's like, if that's what's holding them back, then nothing's holding them back. The only thing holding them back is will. The will to do it. And I thought that was really interesting because he's absolutely right. Um, if any, you know, if you had a mid-sized company or a small mom, mom and pop and somebody said, you got to start using real-time personalized data to grow your business, they would be like, I'm, Instagram is about as far as I'm going to get, thank you, right? <laughs> but if you're a multinational corporation, multi-billion-dollar corporation, There really is nothing holding you back from today starting to rebuild how you market and engage with your consumers in real time using behavioral data. You Mm -hmm. can afford the technology expenses. uh, You have the intelligence within your organization to execute it. So really it's just the will. It's just the will to want to engage with your consumers that way, to, to want to let go of an old world style of thinking that says we have these buckets of people and we put the things in the buckets that align with those people. Instead, you live in a world where we have products and people want things and we're gonna give them the things that they say they want. So.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, um, you know, yes, you have more advantages as a larger company, but you know, Instagram's not a bad place to start too. I don't know. I feel like everything I get served up on there, I'm like, I do want that. I do need that. Thank you very much. And I don't mind when, see, I love that because if they're targeting me with ads based on my behavior and it's something that makes me head nod basically, uh, I don't feel, it doesn't feel intrusive to me. It actually feels helpful or beneficial. It does feel more personalized. And I think um, you know, that's what we're we're striving for, right? Is to, we have products, we are businesses, we are selling things, but it is about the experience, not the product itself or the price, right? Yeah,
1: I would say, I think you're absolutely right. Um, on Instagram, I would say 30 midsize to boutique brands uh, target me mm-hmm. for fashion
0: mm-hmm. every
1: single day. Right, but I don't ever hear from large brands, right?
0: right? They don't know
1: who I am or where I am or what I'm interested in um, because they don't know what channel to buy me in. And and you've got these small brands that are competing with the micro brands, right? Um, That are just killing it. I mean, they're just killing it. And sometimes they get big enough to get acquired by one of those big companies mm-hmm. um, and then they kind of lose their magic. Uh, but yeah, no, I think social is is really the way you do it when you're small, but if you're big already, you have limitless opportunity.
0: Right, and social just being one of them, you know, and we could have a whole follow-up talk about that, I'm sure. Reggie, I so appreciate your time and Insights. Um, This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart and something we, uh, you know, very core to our organization too. And it's just a favorite topic of mine. So um, really got me thinking about behavioral data and how important that is and analytics. Um, Thank you so much for your time and your insights.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Bye.